gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord was so vast the crossing high could never fall from where I was to his demand it seemed so far I cried dear Lord I cannot come to where you are he chains of sin he came to me when I possessed no hope within he picked me up and drew me gently to his side where today in his sweet love I now abide, he came to me, he came to me, when I could not come to where he was, he came to me, that's why he died. song amen what a tremendous message and again we are so thankful that he came to us amen if, if we were if we were in need of going to him it would have never happened and again I know some I would have went to Jesus without a doubt I'd have certainly I know you wouldn't have you've done the same thing they did in the garden just like me and the fact is, is we're all in the same boat we're just all the same and unfortunately for us we're going to make the wrong decisions but praise God he came and got us and he came to us and saved our soul we love him because he first loved us. Amen? Well, take your Bible today. Turn over to the book of James. I want you to begin in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 8 for a few. Then we're going to go back to James 1 and look over a different portion of Scripture, all right? 
So let's go ahead and start with James chapter 1 as we give somewhat of a background of what's transpiring and taking place here. Again, the book of James is a wonderful book, and of course it has much that we can glean from. And so we're going to lay somewhat of a foundation of how it begins and kind of where it is, and then we're going to look a little bit further into chapter 1 and then make an application. And, uh, and so we'll get there, okay? Let's go ahead and consider James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's read there. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now here in the beginning of the book of James, chapter 1, we uh, begin to, uh, the, the, the writer, James, uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, just begins to reveal to us who his audience is. He says that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, and he says, greetings. Now, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 8, where we find these are those that are scattered abroad. Over in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see here just who they are. Now in the passage here in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 again, we're going to go back to a time, remember in chapter 7, we've had the first martyr, Stephen. And Stephen, of course, had preached the gospel and the word of God. Well, of course, we know that he was stoned and uh, there was a young man that is, uh, uh, there that held the garments. We talked about him in our tent meetings. And uh, we know that his name was Saul, which he ultimately would be called Paul after chapter 9. But what we find here is we see that there's been a persecution, uh, that, that he was stoned. Now we're going to see what the result of that stoning was and the result of that trend, if you will, in chapter 8. Notice it says in verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, what was at Jerusalem. So we see that uh, we have seen Stephen stoned now, and as a result we're seeing that the animosity toward Christianity is even growing, and now there's persecution against the church, which is in Jerusalem. We know that the church in Jerusalem was a growing church. We know that it was a vibrant church. We know that the word of God was taking priority in first place. And we recognize and see here that there were those that did not appreciate nor did they like the fact that that was happening. And so as a result, persecution is now at their doorstep and they're experiencing it firsthand. And so we see here that at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad. And we just saw that term a little bit earlier ago. A little, just a moment ago in chapter 1 of the book of James. So they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. So we have a church now that's being persecuted, severely persecuted. As a result of the persecution, the Bible tells us they are scattered abroad. In James chapter 1, as we turn back there, we're going to recognize that this servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ is writing now to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. So the very ones that he's writing to then are those Jews that had trusted and received Jesus Christ back in Jerusalem that are now being scattered abroad as a direct result of persecution. Now we notice in this passage, he says in verse uh, 1 again, 
that he says to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. So they are facing tremendous persecution. And he says to them, guess what? Not only are you to endure the temptation, but you are to count it all joy. Now that is completely foreign to us. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the concept to, to understand somehow that a loving God would allow persecution to come and we're supposed to simply not, not only endure it, but to, in a sense, enjoy it. Now, that, that doesn't make sense to us. Can I tell you why? Because we are entitled today. Because as a Christian country, as a nation, has never ever endured persecution virtually to the degree that these people did. We don't even have a clue what it's like to live in any other place where we don't have the freedom to proclaim the truth. Not one of us in this room haven't been able to stand on a street corner and preach the word. Not one of us have been told you can't share your faith with a friend. Not one of us are being told you're going to go to jail if you meet this week. At least not in this, this church building. Now there are battles being fought in our country. I understand that right now. And let me tell you something, that our, 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 our captain, our captain is still in charge. But there could be coming a day when we might understand a little bit more about what these that are scattered abroad, these that endured persecution in Jerusalem and went about the world seeking asylum and seeking freedom of faith and religion. Hey, we may understand what it's like to endure those things, and when we do, we can go to a book and say, well, we know somebody that's already done it. We see the instruction that God's given to them, and we recognize the fact that we're not only to endure this, we are to enjoy this. I'll tell you what, you say, well, how about you? You're going to enjoy it? I, say, I don't know. I guarantee you one thing, I probably wouldn't be able to say yes until I get the grace to do it. And I won't get the grace to enjoy it until I'm in the midst of it, I'm sure. I don't look forward to those days. I, I really hope that they don't come. And I don't want my children, I don't want my grandchildren to endure those things. But the fact is, is that in America, we have been living in a position where we have enjoyed the bounty of God's blessing. And we have not seen the wrath of Satan like they did in those days. We see it subtly. We see it in so many other forms. It's not taking place physically, but it is subtle. Let me tell you, I'll promise you this. Although Satan may not be destroying us physically, he is wrecking and ruining us spiritually. Oh, we're being attacked all right. And we are soldiers in a warfare. But the fact is, is that it's so subtle and it's so beyond us. We don't even recognize it many times. And we're failing to, to see the importance of really what we're going to even talk about today a little bit. Then we turn to James chapter 1. Look at verse 22. To these that are scattered abroad, to these that have endured persecution and are continuing to do so, he speaks out and he says to them in verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. He goes on to say, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. 
Let me tell you something. Religion has sent so many people to their graves. Not only to their graves, but to the, truly to the lake of fire ultimately. Religion is not something that is necessarily good. Pure religion is good. But pure religion is not what we understand religion to be in the world in which we live. You can go back through history and you'll recognize that religion has, has wrecked and ruined societies and cultures. More people have died as a, at the hand of religion than they have probably from any other means. Let me tell you something. That's a problem. Our faith is not in our religion. Our faith is in a relationship, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. If you think that going to church and just doing the religious thing is enough and that your good's going to outweigh your bad, my friend, you're mistaken. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I want to take a few moments and share a couple of thoughts from the passage, and then I want to kind of boil it down to just a statement and then close with that and, and, and kind of focus on it for a few minutes, okay? Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll move along. Father, thank you again for this group that's gathered. Thank you for these that have made their way to Community Baptist. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to their hearts through the Word of God. Lord, I have nothing to say in and of myself. I simply need you to speak through me. Fill me with your spirit, and may I be simply your mouthpiece. May you bless every hearer, and may they hear with spiritual ears. And may we be inspired, Father, to love you more, to draw nigh to you, to be closer to you. And, Father, to truly seek to please you as we were created to do. We love you and we need you. In Christ's name, amen. First, we look at verse 22, and he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Again, he says, But be ye doers of what? The what? The word. Be ye doers of what? The word. That's an interesting statement. Again, be ye doers of the word. I think, again, the reader is directed to the word of God. I'm telling you what, when we think about the word of God, there's so many different books and Bibles and different things out there. But my friend, let me tell you something. When you hold that King James Bible in your hand, my friend, I want you to know you hold the word of God in your hand. And the Bible says here in this passage, he says that we are to be doers of the word. The word is the key to any success in the Christian life. If you hope to have any success in the Christian life, my friend, you're going to have to be a doer of this book. There, there is no other option. There's no other way. It's simply through the Word of God. Someone says, well, I, I'm kind of, I, I struggle with the Word of God. I struggle reading it. I struggle, struggle studying it. I, I just have a hard time with the Word of God. My friend, you cannot have a successful Christian life. You cannot overcome temptation. You will not get victory in your life without the Word of God. Without it, you will falter and fail. That's all there is to it. You cannot be successful in the Christian life without it. We were in Cozumel years ago. Of course, uh, the church was gracious enough to send uh, Sherry and I there. And uh, I think it was a pastor appreciation one time. I think it was like, what, 20, 20 years. Okay, it was 20 years. Man, it's been a long time ago, huh? Well, it's not that long ago. I was, well, I started pastoring when I was only 12, so I'm only, what? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, so, so anyway, uh, I just remember going to Cozumel. We got on that airplane. Well, before I could get on the airplane, I had to go get my... Uh, Passport, yeah, thanks. And so uh, I remember in the service, uh, brother, brother Kavanaugh telling us, oh, the church is decided they're going to send you to Cozumel, and you're going to leave on Tuesday morning. And I remember going, wait a second, Tuesday morning? My passport's expired. 
you got to fly out of the country to go to Cozumel. So I made the trek all the way up to Detroit. And you know that you can get a, you can get a passport in one day. I drove up there, and I remember, uh, you know, filling out the paperwork and taking care of all those things. And, man, I mean to tell you, when I left that day, I had my passport in my hand. I was ready to go. I got back that afternoon, that evening, and uh, now we're ready to go. That morning, we took off and flew out. We got to Cozumel, and, of course, it was a beautiful place. We decided that we were going to take what was called an ATV tour. Now, that's those four-wheelers. Now, so, you know, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I used to ride dirt bikes, so for me, this was nothing. <laughs> Cakewalk, right? But anyway, I still remember, uh, we, we paid for that thing, and we got on that trip, and Sherry, she got on the back. I mean, I felt like I was easy rider. I mean, just, the wind was blowing through my hair. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, if you could have taken a picture, you could have used it on any advertisement in the country. Well, maybe not. But anyway, I mean, I was riding along, you know, and she's on the back, and we're having a good time. They took us around to the backside of that island, and let me tell you, we saw things we'd never, ever see otherwise. And it was beautiful. Was that Cozumel? That might have been Aruba. <laughs> that was our 25th anniversary. That's right. That's why it's so vague. Sorry, Cozumel out the window. You didn't do anything to help us. But anyway... So, that's right. It was. We saved up for five years to go on that trip, didn't we? Yeah, we saved up at least $550. But anyway, no, I'm teaching, but we did. We went to, and let me tell you, that's not a cheap place, by the way. So, but anyway, it was beautiful. So anyway, we're on that trip now. Wrong place, same, same story. So here we are on that ATV going around the backside of that island, and we get to this one place. It was unbelievable. I mean, there was something that kind of looked like a volcano almost, like a mouth of a volcano. And the, the guy told us that there was an exotic pool down in the mouth of that volcano type thing. And, and honestly, I, we were like, well, we want to see this, you know. And he said, man, as a matter of fact, you can even jump in the water, but be careful because it's extremely deep. I mean, it's just like kind of a bottomless pool, you know what I mean? We're like, oh, wow, that sounds cool. So anyway, we, it gave us time to get off of our four-wheelers, and we, we had to uh, kind of climb up. And I mean, you had to climb at points. I mean, it wasn't easy. It was hard. There were sharp rocks along the way, and you had to kind of maneuver around them and get on up there. I mean, it was tough. It took a little effort, let me tell you that. Man, when we got down up inside that thing, it was beautiful. It was exotic. It was amazing. We put forth a lot of effort to get there, but it was worth, it was worth it. You know what? That's how the word of God is. Do you realize that there is no other way to experience success in the Christian life than by the word of God? But it takes some effort to open this book. It takes effort to dig in. It takes effort to get into the word of God. I'm telling you, it's not going to necessarily come easy all the time. But if you really want to enjoy the blessings, if you want to truly drink it all in, my friend, you've got to get in it. And it takes some effort. There is no other way to experience the success in the Christian life than by way of the word of God. We'd have never, ever seen what we saw. We'd have never experienced what we did. If we wouldn't have put forth the effort. And there was only one way to get up there. <laughs> you couldn't drive an, S uh, an SUV. You couldn't drive an ATV. You, you couldn't get up there any other way than just climb up in. You know what? You can't get to success in the Christian life any other way than the Word of God. Yeah. 
Then we see verse 23. The Bible says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I mean, it's amazing. Here he is talking to these people who have been persecuted, who have been scattered abroad, who are still enduring persecution, and he's telling them the same thing that he's telling us today. If it was important in those days, if it was absolutely necessary in those days, don't you think it's still important? He says, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For beholdeth, for he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's kind of a picture of a fellow. He, he wakes up in the morning, you know, and he, he finds himself uh, uh, in, in the restroom and there in front of the mirror, he begins to look himself over pretty good and he realizes, man, I got me a day's growth of beard. I've got, I got hair that's out of place. And all of a sudden it hits him. Wait a second. Why was my alarm flashing? The electric had gone out that night. He runs over and he looks and he realizes he's running late and he'd woke up late that his alarm didn't go off. And so all of a sudden he rushes over, he gets dressed and he heads on out to work. He finds himself seated at his desk. He makes it. A little later in the day, his boss peeks his head around the corner and he looks at him and he realizes, man, he's got a beard kind of growing a little bit. He looks kind of shabby. And he says... Hey, you got a mirror? Yeah, I got a mirror. Sure, I got a mirror. Matter of fact, this morning I was standing right in front of it. He said, well, you need to look in a mirror again today because you got a lot of growth on that face and you got some hair out of place. Matter of fact, man, you need, you need to get a shave and if you need a comb, I got one. You know what happened? While we were standing in front of that mirror, it was easy to see the flaws. He recognized that he had the beard. He knew he needed a shave. He understood he needed to comb his hair. But the moment he rushed on out and his mind got kind of convoluted with the life, with life and with everything else going on, he was kind of distracted at that point. He finds himself in the office where he has a routine. And next thing you know, he forgets what he looked like. You know, that's exactly what the Bible's teaching us here. The Bible says... But whoso looketh into, it says, it says, for behold, uh, for he beholding himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He saw himself the way he was. He recognized, need, uh, recognized the need for change, but now he forgets because he's no longer in front of the mirror. The truth is, is that while we are confronted with the word of God, we are reminded continually of our flaws. It reveals to us our shortcomings. It shows us our sin. We're able to see who and what we really are. But if we're not careful, the moment we turn our eyes away from that mirror, we forget all of that. And that's exactly what the scriptures are trying to remind us. It's saying, listen, I recognize and realize that you may be Christians and that's fine. But the truth is, is that you need that book. It's the only way you'll ever truly be successful. And if you fail to get in it and stay in it, my friend, you will walk away from it. And although you may have been convicted of your sin, and although you may have recognized need for change, you'll forget about all that.
We need the word of God. And notice how vital, how important it is. It's so important that when we see the need, that we address it immediately then. How often are we confronted with truth and yet we fail to respond? How many times have we opened the Word of God in our own devotions, maybe in the morning or at night whenever you do those things, and you begin to dig into the Word a little bit, you read a passage, and the Holy Spirit of God convicts you? And you find yourself under that conviction and you realize and you recognize that there's a need for change in your life. But instead of dealing with it, instead of addressing it, instead of facing it head on, you say, I'm kind of busy right now or I'm really wore out from the day. I don't have time to do it right now. And you close the Bible, you set it down and you go on the day and you are distracted. From that point on, you never address the sin. You never address the flaw. You never address the shortcoming at that point. You forget all about it. You go to church like this and the preacher's proclaiming a truth and he's in the word of God and all of a sudden again the spirit of God just takes his finger and puts it on your heart and you can feel the pressure of God in your life and you know there's a need for a change. You know you got to make a decision. But instead of responding at an altar or at your seat or kneeling down even where you are, you simply say, I'll deal with it when I get home. And about the time you get into your car and you're driving out the drive, whew, gone. We got to deal with those shortcomings. We got to deal with that conviction. We got to deal with that feeling immediately when the Holy Spirit works and moves. We need to deal with it while we have the word open. We go on, verse 25, he says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Again, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. It's amazing here, isn't it? The writer is pointing out that we need to be consistent and constantly in the word of God. No doubt about that. And we're to look into the perfect law of liberty. I mean, it's just amazing how the word of God reveals our need to us. But he's helping us to understand that we're to look into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Notice continueth therein. That means again that he wants us to be consistently and constantly in the word. It's not enough to open it periodically. It's not enough to read it when it's convenient. It is to be continual and constant. Continueth, he says, therein. Because then his deeds will be blessed. That's when God's going to come alongside and do a work. You know, I don't know how about you, but there's been times in my life where I've had to take antibiotics. Maybe I was sick or I was under the weather and there was something going on and I needed a, a, just a, a, a series of antibiotics. You know, it's interesting about antibiotics. You can start that process, but if you don't finish it, it doesn't really help you in the long run many times. It, you, you say, well, I'm starting to feel better after a couple of days of taking the antibiotic. 
I feel so much better already. I don't need those. I'll save those for another time. But then all of a sudden it comes back on you. It's important that you complete the regiment. It's important that you follow through. It's important that you continue with those antibiotics till they're finished doing the work they're intended to do. As a child, we had flashcards in mathematics. I don't know about you, but I remember over and over again in school and even at home, we'd practice our, our, our addition cards or our multiplication tables. You know, one times one is one, two times two is four, four times four is 16, five times five is 25, six times six is 36, seven times seven is 49, eight times eight is 64, nine times nine is 81, 10 times 10 is 100. You get where I'm going? Man, you got to where you memorize things. It had to be second nature. And you'd have to do it over and 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 over again. And in doing it over and over again, it became part of who you were. You could do them like that. But it didn't do any good to work on those, those, those tables just every once in a while. If you, you did the flashcards and you got discouraged, you just quit doing them. Guess what? You never really learned them. And you know, sadly enough, the Bible's making it very clear here that we need this perfect law of liberty this precious, perfect book in our life, and with, that without it, we will never, ever experience true success in our Christian life. And it's saying it's not enough to simply open it when it's convenient. It's not enough to open it when it suits your fancy. It's not enough to just simply read it when it's just able to get to it. My friend, you've got to be in it continually. And then when confronted with a fault, confronted with a shortcoming, confronted with a sin, you must deal with it immediately. Or you'll walk away and go, well, I'm okay. I'm all right. The Bible tells us how we do this then. You say, how in the world am I to be in the Bible continually? I mean, I got to work a job. I got a life to live. Well, it's interesting. The Bible tells us, it says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We want the success. We want good success. But the recipe is found before we get to the success. We're to meditate therein day and night. It's to constantly be on our heart and our mind. How in the world can the word of God be on our mind? Well, when we read it in the morning and we come up, God points to a passage and he just speaks to our heart. We're to meditate on it. We're to think about it. We're to consider it. We're to run it through our mind over and over again. And not only that, but can I tell you even a better way at times is to memorize the scriptures. Man, when we are confronted with temptation, we are dealing with some kind of difficulty in our life, all of a sudden, the Word of God pops up in our mind. We may not have a copy in our possession, but it's hidden in our heart. And we can experience success in those moments because the Word of God, once again, is available. In Psalm chapter 119, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We're hiding that word in our heart. It's going to give us victory in our life. 
We're going to find true success, but it's, we're not going to find it apart from the Word of God, though. The interesting thing, too, about the Bible, the Word of God, when it says, the, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, not only do we get a glimpse of ourself, but we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ every time we open its pages. You know, one of the dangers that we find in Christianity today and it's true in all of our lives under every circumstance too many times, but we find ourselves comparing ourselves to one another. You know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> let's just be honest. In our own minds, we, we do think that we're better at some things than other people. Well, uh, at least I don't go do that, and I don't do that at least. And we have a tendency to compare ourselves amongst one another. Well, okay, so I don't do that, but at least I don't do that. Well, I don't say those words, but at least, I mean, I might say some things that are off color, so to speak, but at least I don't say what they say. We compare ourselves to one another. But when you open that book, the Word of God, it reveals a standard far beyond you, me, or anyone else on this planet. That standard is none other than Jesus Christ, and He is Creator God. He is perfect. He is sinless. When we start to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, my friend, all of a sudden we truly do find ourselves, see ourselves, and, and appear to ourselves to be far less important than we thought. All of a sudden, I'm not that wonderful person. All of a sudden, there is need for change in my life. And that's exactly what God intends for the Word of God to do. When we open that perfect law of liberty, we see Jesus Christ as the standard. We recognize ourselves for the sinners we are. We realize we have needs in our lives. And we know that there's faults and there's shortcomings and there's sin that must be addressed. Keep that book open. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And don't allow that to slide. Deal with your sin immediately. Confess it before God. Forsake it before Him. And go on with your life at that point, always meditating on those scriptures. Because the moment we just look at it and we are reminded of what and who we are and the needs that we have and the change that must come and we just close it up, set it down and walk off into life, it's forgotten. It's forgotten. We forget what we just saw in the mirror. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me, John 5, 39 says. You can't open this book without seeing Christ. So let me give you the thought now. Trust me, we're almost done. We really are. Here's, here's the thought. Where you are looking will determine how you look to God. Where you are looking will determine how you look to God. Those believers that were under the pressure of persecution, they needed something. You know, you know what the problem with us, according to Revelation 3 is? Is that we have need of nothing, we say. Revelation chapter 3, again, referring to the, the churches, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, dealing with the churches, and we believe, based on what we can tell scripturally, that they are a picture of the, 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 the church through the age, this church age. 
We are coming to the end of that. It's called the Laodicean church period. Laodicean church age even. And what we're finding is, is according to that, the characteristic of the church in the latter days before Christ comes is one that says we have need of nothing. Can I tell you why they don't have need of anything? Because they never are looking in the right place. Do you realize that as we draw closer to the end days, it's going to be less of the word of God? People, even believers, are going to close their Bibles because they've opened Facebook. Hey, Brother Ankrum pounded it and pounded it and pounded it. I don't need to. But the fact is, is that there are so many things in the world that we allow to distract us or keep us from the Bible. Someone says, well, yeah, I believe all that stuff's all wrong. You can't use it for any good. I didn't say that. What I'm going to tell you is, is this. If it becomes a substitute for God's word, my friend, you will never experience success as long as you have neglected this book. As long as I neglect this book, we're in trouble. See, that man is looking into that perfect law of liberty. He's looking at the word of God, and he is simply a hearer, not a doer. He opens it up. He closes the mirror, and he says, I'm perfectly fine. Because it's only when that mirror is being faced, when I'm face to face with it, that I really see my flaws. So where you're looking will determine how you look to God then. This idea that we can make up the rules as we go. I don't like that. And I don't like this. And, and I don't agree with that. And I don't appreciate this. Listen, let me tell you something. You can go ahead and you can come up with every excuse in the world why you don't want the word of God to change your life. But if you don't let it change your life, my friend, God does not see you the way you want to be seen. You may think he is because you're that. You're all that, of course. But my friend, let me tell you something. Until I am allowing the word of God to transform my life. And to hey, what's he say over in Hebrews? Looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. Can I tell you who that is? Jesus Christ. May I tell you who the word of God is? Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Jesus Christ is this book. And this book is Jesus Christ. My friend, you cannot be perfected in the sense of spiritually mature without this book. We've got to take the time to get in it. It's not enough. Well, how much time do you spend in the Bible? Not that much. Then let me tell you something. Don't deceive yourself. If you are simply a hearer and not a doer, my friend, don't deceive yourself. You don't look as good to God as you look to yourself. You may not look as good to, to, to God. You don't look as good to God as maybe others even see you. But when it's all said and done, can I tell you that it doesn't matter how someone else sees you? All that matters is how God sees you. The Bible says in Romans 14, 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to be judged by God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter in the long run. You can go ahead and look the part and you can act the part in front of me. But the fact is it won't matter. I'm not going to judge you. He is. And your husband or wife may be fooled, and your children may be fooled, and maybe the Sunday school class is fooled, but God isn't fooled. Captain Penny used to say, you can fool all of the people some of the time. Some of the people, wait, you can, you can, you can fool all of the people some of the time. Some of the people, no, I got it wrong now. You can fool some of the people all of the time, all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool mom. Remember that? 
Don't, don't act like you're not old. Come on now, you remember Captain Penny. Pretty sure it was Captain Penny. Do you want to know something? You might be able to fool mom. I found out you can. Didn't you? Come on now, don't act all pious now. You guys out there doing the same thing I was. But you can't fool the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither can I. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to have to stand and give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, let me say this. Where you're looking today will determine how you look to God. Maybe you're not saved, though. Maybe you don't even know for sure heaven's your home. Do you realize that you're going to stand before the, God, the Lord as well? You're going to give an account, but it's not called the judgment seat of Christ. It's the great white throne judgment over in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hey, there's a judgment coming. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth he was rich, but he became poor for you and I. He literally came and walked the dusty trails of Galilee. He allowed himself to be mocked, maligned, and mistreated by the very creation, his own creation. And there they ultimately took him up Golgotha's hill, and they run those nails in his hands and in his feet, and there he hung on Calvary between heaven and earth, bearing the burden of sin, becoming sin, the Bible says so that he could pay the penalty of sin, death, for you and for me. Jesus Christ did that for you. The Bible says, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Hey, we are all creations of God, but we are not all children of God until we place our personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But once you do that, you're in the body, and you're in the family, and you've got a reservation in heaven. But if you reject the word of God, the truths of God, the promises of God, the person of God, Jesus Christ, you'll be judged at the great white throne judgment, and there'll be no hope, no tears, no pleading will change the outcome It'll be to the lake of fire you go, headlong. But in his great mercy and love, he took your place. He came to me. He came to me. And he came to you. So you need to trust him today if you haven't already. But if you're a child of God, let me ask you. How do you look to the Savior today? See, where you're looking 
determines how you look to God. Excuse me, I just said that. Yes. Where you're looking will determine how you look to God. Let me tell you, this is important. Let's not be simply hearers. Let's spend time in that book. Let's be doers of it. Let's open it and let's allow it to truly transform and change our lives. Let's spend time in it, continually meditating on it, memorizing it, and allowing it to have its work done in our lives. We're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and give an account. And let me tell you what, I don't know about you, but I want to look good to the Lord. But that's not going to happen if I occasionally pick it up, look at it, see myself the way I am, close it, and walk away without any change in my life. It's not going to do anything for me at the judgment seat. I got to take it with me everywhere I go, hide it in my heart, meditate on it in my mind, and allow it to transform and change me. Where you're looking will determine how you look to God. What are you looking at today? What are your eyes focused on consistently? That's going to determine how you look to him. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We desperately need you. Father, in this crowd even today, we, there may be those who have even just, just a week away from our tent meeting have already found themselves slipping in their Bible reading and in their time in the scriptures have already began to be distracted by life. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as believers to recognize and realize the great need in our life for the word of God continually, not just when it's convenient, when it fits in the schedule, but always. Lord, we want to look good to you. So we have to be looking into the scriptures because there is no true success in the Christian life without the word of God. Well, thank you. We praise you for what you'll do. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ that have yet to receive him, and they're just, they know that the Holy Spirit's speaking and that they need to receive Christ, they need to trust him as Savior and Lord, not depend on themselves or their effort or their good outweighing the bad, but simply trust in Jesus. May they settle that even today. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.